Chapter 13 of The Emancipation of South America by Bartolomé Mitre. Translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr The Passage of the Andes, 1817. Quote, what spoils my sleep is not the strength of the enemy, but how to pass those immense mountains, end quote said san martin as from mendoza he gazed upon the snow-clad summits of the andes which as a mighty barrier separate the wide plains of the argentine pampa from the smiling valleys of chile through twenty-two degrees of latitude from the desert of atacama to cape horn these mountains at thirty-three degrees south latitude divide into two parallel ranges one running southward along the borders of the pacific ocean the other forming the grand cordillera upon which san martin gazed from mendoza the coast range is a succession of granite hills with rounded summits and gentle slopes like to the waves of a petrified sea the great cordillera is in its centre composed of three or four ranges of conical and sharply defined peaks which rise one over the other to a height of twenty-one thousand feet above the level of the sea, crowned with perpetual snow. At its feet lie deep valleys, from which perpendicular precipices rise up to the clouds, and the mighty condors wheeling in airy circles at that dizzy heights are the only living things to be seen. There are also lakes, fed by torrents of melted snow, which pouring down the mountain sides into these valleys, find at times no exit, their path being closed by immense heaps of debris hurled from the lofty summits by the force of ice and winter. These immense groups of mountains are traversed by rugged defiles and narrow paths, the result of volcanic action, wind along the edges of precipices, while below roar the mountain streams carrying great rocks along with them, tossing them about as though they were straws. Here nature displays her giant strength as an artificer, decking herself with no other ornaments than the cactus, mosses, and thorny plants. Everywhere are seen traces of the world in embryo, as it emerged from chaos in the process of creation. Between the Cordillera and the coast range stretches a great central valley, cut across in places by spurs from the higher mountains, which take an oblique line to the south till they lose themselves in the ocean or reappear as solitary islands or as clusters of islands which are the summits of mountains springing from the bed of the sea the great cordillera can only be crossed at certain passes those which have connection with our history are in the centre those of uspallata and los patos in front of mendoza and san juan to the north those of la ramada and comecaballos by which the Argentine province of La Rioja communicates with Coquimbo and Copiapó, and to the south that of the Planchón, which gives access to the valley of Talca, and that of the Portillo, which leads to the plain of Maipó and to the capital of Chile. These passes, from 9,000 feet to 12,000 feet above the level of the sea, are covered with snow in winter, and are practicable only in the height of summer. Until then, they had been crossed only by small detachments of soldiery, or by troops of mules, the paths being in many places so narrow as only to give room for one mounted man at a time. The passage of a numerous army with guns and baggage was held to be impossible, 
and had never been thought of till the feat was accomplished by San Martin. Food and forage for men, mules and horses had to be carried with them, and it was necessary to reach the other side in force sufficient to overcome a watchful enemy, to concentrate the different columns upon his weak points, and to make all the preparations secretly, so that the army might rush like a thunderbolt from the western slopes of the mountains and do battle in the open plain. San Martin, by his complex spy system, had deluded the enemy into the belief that the invasion would come from the passes of the south. His real intentions he had kept from friends and enemies alike. In September 1816, he invited the Poenche Indians, who occupied the eastern slopes of the Andes, commanding the entrances to the passes of the Planchone and Portillo, to a conference at the fort of San Carlos to the south of Mendoza. With the invitation he sent them many mules laden with spirits and wine, with sweetmeats, cloth and glass beads for the women, horse gear and clothes for the men. In savage pomp they came, the warriors followed by their women rode up to the fort on the day appointed in full war costume, flourishing their long lances and commenced proceedings by a sham fight in the Indian fashion, dashing at full speed round the fort from whose walls a gun was fired every five minutes, and was answered by Indian yells. Then the chiefs entered the fort, and were told by San Martin that the Spaniards were foreigners who intended to rob them of their lands, their cattle, their women and children, and that he desired to pass through their country with an army, to go by the Planchon and Portillo passes to the country the other side of the mountains, there to destroy these Spaniards. The Indian chiefs listened to his request and granted him the permission he required, after which they, with their warriors, gave themselves up to an orgy which lasted eight days. On the sixth day, San Martin returned to Mendoza, satisfied that the Indians, with their usual perfidy, would at once inform Marco of his project, and took care that their information was confirmed by the agents of Marco in Mendoza, who sent him dispatches to the same purport, dictated by San Martin. At the same time, San Martin advised the government and his friend Guido that he had arranged with the Indians for supplies of cattle and horses, and for help in his expedition, without in any case giving a hint of his real intentions. Marco, harassed by the alarming news sent him by his supposed spies in Mendoza, and annoyed by the guerrillas under Martin Rodriguez, who infested the country between the Maule and the Maipo, and sacked villages even in the vicinity of the capital itself, adopted most ill-conceived and contradictory measures. He fortified the ports and organized a flotilla to act against an imaginary naval force which his spies in Cuyo informed him had already left Buenos Aires. He cut trenches in the pass of Uspallata, made a map of the southern provinces, and a survey of the mouths of the passes in that district, strengthened the guards at all the passes. After concentrating his troops, scattered them again all over the country, and followed the example of San Martin by holding a great conference with the Indians of Arauco. The policy of San Martin was successful. The captain-general of Chile attempted to defend the whole of his frontier and had no idea where the real attack was to come from. 
one only of his many councillors advised him to concentrate the army on the capital and there make ready for whatever might happen instead of that he increased the general discontent by arbitrary exactions till all classes of the people longed for the appearance of san martin and made ready to help him as best they could small parties of troops were on several occasions attacked and routed by armed bands of the peasantry and the bandit neira made himself famous by similar exploits in the encampment at mendoza matters were far different there methodical activity and automatic obedience blended with intelligent enthusiasm there one far-seeing will reigned supreme there everything was known that marco had either thought or did each man worked diligently at his appointed task and all trusted blindly in their chief the forges blazed day and night the arsenal turned out cartridges by the hundred thousand fray beltran made special carriages for the artillery adopted to the mountain passes the guns themselves were to be carried on the backs of mules slings were prepared for carrying them over dangerous places and sleds of raw hide in which they might be hauled up by men when the gradients were too steep for the mules the general-in-chief silent and reserved thought for all inspected everything and provided for every contingency large provision was made of charqui can a food much in vogue among the muleteers composed of beef dried in the sun roasted and ground to powder then mixed with fats and chile pepper and pounded into small compass a soldier could carry enough of this in his knapsack to last him eight days mixed up with hot water and maize meal ready roasted it formed a soup at once nutritious and appetizing san luis alone furnished two thousand arrobas and the total provision amounted to three thousand and five hundred arrobas eighty seven thousand two hundred pounds the soldiers made for themselves closed sandals of raw hide called tamangos which were lined with fragments of old clothes collected for that purpose from all the province water bottles were made from the horns of the animals slaughtered in the encampment and slings were made for them out of the rough edges of the cloth from which their uniforms were made the sabres of the cavalry were carefully sharpened but they had only three trumpets till government sent them two more thirty thousand horseshoes were prepared which was a great innovation as the argentines were not accustomed to shoe their horses without them the hoofs of the cavalry horses would have been worn down in the transit over the stony passes four cables each one hundred and seventy feet long and two anchors formed a portable bridge cuyo alone furnished thirteen thousand mules but the promise of government to replenish the exhausted treasury were not fulfilled a rebellion had broken out in cordoba which taxed the resources of puerredon to the utmost to repress but he aided san martin in every way he possibly could with clothes saddles tents and arms and wrote him quote, don't ask me for anything more unless you wish to hear that i have hung myself to a beam in the fort End quote. and also quote, you may well say that among us there has never been seen an army so well fitted out but neither has there been seen a director who had equal confidence in a general and it must be added never a general who so well merited that confidence as yourself after all my mind would be easier if you had another thousand good soldiers with you End quote. 
everything was ready. The army consisted of 3,000 infantry in four battalions, led by Alvarado, Kramer, Conde and Las Heras, five squadrons of the mounted grenadiers, 1,700 sabres, led by Sapiola, Melian, Ramayo, Escalada and Necochea, and 250 artillery, with ten six-pounders, two howitzers, and nine four-pounder mountain guns, under command of La Plaza. Twelve hundred mounted militia from Cuyo accompanied the army, besides muleteers and artisans. The army was arranged in three divisions, each entirely independent of the others. The vanguard under Soler and the reserve under O'Higgins marched by the pass of Los Patos. Las Heras, with the artillery, marched by that of Uspallata, which was the only one practicable for guns and ammunition. All the food necessary for fifteen days they took with them, also six hundred bullocks for slaughter, and a special supply of onions and garlic, very necessary at high levels, both for man and beast. As flankers to the main army, a detachment of militia and Chilean immigrants left San Juan under Cabot by the pass of La Ramada, marching upon Coquimbo, and another left Rioja by the pass of Vincina, marching on Copiapó and Huasco. To the south, another detachment, composed of mounted infantry, grenadiers and Chileans, marched under the Chilean Capitan Freire by the Planchon Pass, in support of the Chilean guerrillas, and were aided by a party of thirty dragoons under Captain Lemos, who went by the Portillo Pass. Both the main body and the detachments had orders to debouch on Chilean territory from the 6th to the 8th of February, 1817. Each general of division was given by San Martin himself a pen and ink plan of the route he was to follow, with notes and written instructions. San Martin himself went by the pass of Los Patos, but had arranged a system of flag signals by which Las Heras could communicate with him across the intervening valleys. His last instructions from government were, quote, the consolidation of the independence of America from the kings of Spain and their successors, and the glory of the United Provinces of the South are the only motives of this campaign. This you will make public in your proclamations, by your agents in the cities, and by all possible means. The army must be impressed with this principle, and shall have no thought of pillage, oppression, or of conquest or that there is any idea of holding the country of those we help. End quote. He was also authorized to raise a national army in Chile, which should remain under his orders even when a new government was established, was prohibited from capitulating with the enemy under any circumstances, and was charged to avoid any interference in party questions among the Chileans. He was also authorized, after the re-establishment of the municipality of Santiago, to preside over the free election of a provisional president. He was instructed to use his influence to postpone the election of a congress until Chile was entirely free from the enemy, and to persuade the Chileans to send deputies to the Congress of the United Provinces, in order to establish a perpetual alliance between the two countries. As the leading files of the army entered the passes, San Martin, on the 24th of January, 1817, wrote to Godoy Cruz, This afternoon I leave to join the army. God grant me success in this great enterprise. 
The plan of the campaign, as drawn up by San Martin on the 15th of June, 1816, was to cross the Cordillera by the passes of Uspallata and Los Patos, to reunite his forces in the plain beyond, there to beat the principal force of the enemy and to seize the capital. The principal spur from the main range, which cuts the central valley of Chile, is that which springs from the great peak of Aconcohua. From this spur a smaller one branches off, which is called the Sierra of Chacabuco, and runs parallel to the main spur, enclosing between them the parallel valleys of Putaendo and Aconcohua, watered by two streams bearing the same names, which ultimately unite to form the river Aconcohua, which empties itself in the ocean beyond the coast range of hills. The road by Uspallata passes to the south of the Great Peak and through the valley of Aconcohua to the frontier town of Santa Rosa. The road by Los Patos is much longer, and passing to the north of Aconcohua leads by the valley of Putaendo to the narrow pass of Achupayas, which lies to the west of Santa Rosa. Thus, any force stationed at this point would be placed between two fires by the convergence of the two divisions, and if it retreated to the Sierra of Chacabuco, which lay to the south, would leave the plain of Chacabuco available for the concentration of the army. Chacabuco was thus the strategic point upon the occupation of which depended the issue of the whole campaign. Meantime, Cabot had left San Juan on the 12th of January, and on the 8th of February issued from the northern passes. The whole province of Coquimbo rose in arms to welcome him. Captain Ceballos, detached by him, routed a royalist force of a hundred men on the plains of Salala, capturing two small guns and forty prisoners. By the 12th, Cabot was master of the entire province. On the same day, Davila, with the detachment from Rioja, took the city of Copiapó. The whole of the north of Chile was in the power of the invaders. On that same 12th February, Freire, at the other extreme of the line of operations, occupied the city of Talca, after a skirmish on the plains, cutting all communication between the capital and the south. He represented himself to the vanguard of the main army, and was joined at once by the Chilean guerillas and by Neira. It was only on the eve of departure that San Martin explained his plan, in its entirety, to his generals. On the 18th of January, Las Eras marched with a flying column by Ospayata, with instructions to entrench himself at Chacabuco, but to retreat if attacked by superior forces. Two days in his rear marched Beltran with the artillery. The main body marched on the 19th by Los Patos. The vanguard was commanded by Soler, and one day's march in his rear came the reserve under O'Higgins. Groups of pioneers preceded the columns, clearing the way for them. Soler had instructions to debouch on the 8th of February into the valley of Putaendo to seize the bridge which crosses the river Aconcohua in front of the town of San Felipe, to occupy that position, thence to open communication with Las Eras, and, if possible, to attack the enemy in the rear at Santa Rosa. All the troops were mounted on mules and marched in single file along the narrow paths, each twenty men being in care of a muleteer the length of each day's march being decided by the facilities for grass and water at the halting places. Not only was the road itself by Los Patos more difficult than that by Uspallata, 
but on account of the greater elevation and of its vicinity to the eternal snow of the higher peaks the cold was very much more intense it freezes hard there every night even at midsummer and the rarefaction of the air caused many of the men to drop from the ranks marco had dispatched one thousand men under colonel atero to reconnoitre the pass of uspallata and on the twenty fourth of january the advanced posts of las eras were attacked by the enemy at pichueta on the eastern slope of the cordillera a reinforcement under major martinez drove the royalists after two hours fighting across the summit san martin on hearing of this at once dispatched major arcos with two hundred men to seize the pass of achupayas on the fourth of february arcos found the guard there strongly reinforced he attacked at once and the day was decided by lieutenant juan lavalle of the mounted grenadiers who here led the first of those desperate charges of cavalry for which he was afterwards so renowned at three in the morning of the second of february las eras crossed the summit of the cordillera and on the fourth at sundown an advanced post of the royalists at guardia vieja was attacked by major martinez and carried at the point of the bayonet after which las eras in obedience to express orders from san martin retired upon his reserve on the fifth the alarm was given in the valleys of putaendo and aconcohua by the fugitives from guardia vieja and achupayas but atero deceived by the countermarch of las eras into the idea that he was in full retreat left the pass of uspallata open and marched with seven hundred men to meet the invaders at achupayas thus without further trouble las eras debouched on the eighth on to the plain and occupied santa rosa soler with the escort and two squadrons of grenadiers had hurried on to the assistance of the small force at achupayas and thence on the sixth descended into the valley of putaendo with all his cavalry necochea was then detached with one hundred men of the escort against the town of san felipe on the morning of the seventh he was met by atero and by feigning to retreat in the face of such superior numbers induced the royalist leader to follow him up the valley with three hundred horsemen leaving his guns and infantry in a strong position on high ground behind him when he had drawn him well away from his reserve necochea suddenly wheeled his men into line and charged breaking up the enemy completely and driving him back to the shelter of his guns with a loss of thirty killed and four prisoners atero after this repulse retreated with all speed to san felipe destroying the bridge over the aconcohua river fugitives reported that the enemy were tall men armed with very long swords whose charge no cavalry in chile could resist on the eighth the two divisions encamped in the valley of putaendo and were welcomed with enthusiasm by the inhabitants on the ninth the broken bridge was repaired by the sappers and while the whole army crossed a squadron of grenadiers under melian advanced to the hill of chacabuco and were there met by advanced parties of the column under las eras beltran had lost six thousand mules out of ten thousand and two-thirds of his horses but he brought all his guns with him thus the preliminary operations were crowned with success a strategic combination of movements over a frontage of thirteen hundred miles was completed in every point on the day prefixed by the author of the plan he had reason to be proud of the exploit but neither then 
or at any later date was he ever known to boast of it. He had at that time much else to think of. His cavalry horses were for the most part foundered by the passage of the rugged defiles, and he had no time to lose if he was to fight a decisive battle on the 15th, as he had promised. The judgment of posterity is unanimous in respect to the importance of the passage of the Andes by San Martin, not alone as a great military feat, but also for the influence it had upon the final result of the struggle for emancipation. Spanish historians speak of it as the turning point of the contest between Spain and her colonies. In German military schools it is cited as an example of the importance of discipline in the army, and of the value of foresight and attention to details on the part of a general. The passage of the Andes by San Martin was a feat requiring greater strategy and skill than the passage of the Alps by Hannibal and by Napoleon. It was unequalled till Bolivar repeated the exploit on the equator. If compared with the two former, it is seen to be a much greater achievement than either of them from its effects upon the destinies of the human race. In place of vengeance, greed, or of ambition, San Martin was animated by the hope of giving liberty and independence to a new world. The passage of the Andes by San Martin resulted in Maipo. The passage of the Andes by Bolivar resulted in Boyacá, two decisive victories which liberated entire peoples from the slavery of foreign despotism. The passage of the Alps by Hannibal and by Napoleon resulted only in the sterile victories of Trebia and of Marengo. End of chapter 13